Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Henry Gunther. None of you probably know his name, but Henry Gunther was born June 6, 1895, almost 102 years ago. He was born June 6, 1895 in Baltimore. But Henry Gunther is not really known for the day he was born. He's known for the day that he died. In fact, he's known for the exact moment that he died. For Henry Gunther died one minute before World War I ended. Gunther was a soldier in the American Army. He was a sergeant. And because of something he did, he got demoted from sergeant to a private. And this demotion really messed with him internally. He became obsessed with it. He wanted to win his promotion back, and he became obsessed with earning the respect from his fellow army men that he had lost in his demotion. Well, on the morning of November 11th, 1918, an armistice was declared at 5 a.m., The Germans and the Allies declared that they would have peace starting at 11 a.m. So at 5 a.m. there were six hours to go until the war ended and peace reigned. But as Gunther's unit of American soldiers encountered a German machine gun nest, Gunther determined that he was going to make war. Moments before the war ended, against orders, Henry Gunther charged towards the Germans. And as he ran with his gun towards the Germans, bayonet fixed, the German soldiers literally came out of their trenches, knowing that the war was about to end in just one minute. And they waved him down. Halt! Stop! We're about to be at peace. But Gunther had it fixed in his mind that this was the way for him to restore his honor. And the German soldiers, at 10.59, one minute before the 11 a.m. armistice, were forced to gun down Henry Gunther. The, the, The record of his unit of men talks about Henry Gunther's death and says, almost as he fell, the gunfire died away and an appalling silence prevailed. Here is this moment of peace. The great war has ended, and one minute before, one man insists on keeping the war going, and it costs him his life. And as you and I think about that 100 years later, I don't know, even as I tell this story, I have a little bit of a pit in my stomach, in my gut, because it just feels so wrong. But as you think about not just the battlefields of World War I, but the battlefields of your life, maybe it presents a question for us and a question for you. Where is peace possible, but you've chosen to make war? Where is peace possible with people, but you've chosen to make war? Are you choosing the battle over making peace? And are you living as a peacemaker? That's what Jesus is teaching is on today. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they will be called sons of God. I know that automatically we go, what does that mean? Is a peacemaker someone who just lets things slide? Someone who keeps the peace? Someone who has an easygoing personality? That's not what Jesus is talking about at all when he talks about being a peacemaker. Brian Wilkerson points out what Jesus isn't saying, and that's helpful for us as we explore this text. Brian Wilkerson says, Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the peaceful, for they shall get a good night's sleep. Peace of mind is a wonderful thing, and peacemaking often begins with inner peace, but Jesus wasn't pronouncing a blessing on peaceful people. Secondly, Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peaceable, for nothing seems to bother them. Jesus isn't calling for an easygoing, no worries kind of temperament. Everybody likes peaceable people, but they don't often change the world. Wilkerson concludes by saying, Thirdly, Jesus doesn't say, Blessed are the peace-loving, for they shall stay out of trouble. We all love peace. We prefer it when people and nations get along. But there's more to making peace than avoiding conflict. And as human beings, each of us has a tendency not to be a peacemaker. We either have a tendency to be a peace faker or a peace keeper. First of all, peace faking is pretending that everything's okay. You don't stand up for anything because you are afraid of conflict. And when we fake peace, we might stand up, but we get run over because we are afraid to make peace. A peace faker is different than a peacemaker. Peacemaking is also different than a peacekeeper. Peacekeeper is kind of the opposite of peace faking. It's someone who steps into every situation with a heavy hand. When things are out of order, when things are not at peace, they make it at peace by running over other people. When people stand up, they stand on them. But peacekeeping is different than peacemaking. What does it mean to make peace? Well, God is a God who makes peace. God is a God of peace who makes peace, and that means it's more than the absence of conflict. When we think about God being a God who makes peace, two words are helpful. One is reconciliation, and one is shalom. Shalom is this word that comes from the Hebrew language that means peace, but it doesn't mean the absence of war. Rather, it means that everything is in harmony. Everything works as it's supposed to. Everything has right relationship with each other. It's what we see in the Garden of Eden. Man and God are perfectly attuned. Man and woman are perfectly attuned. Adam and Eve understand their role in the world and everything is working as it's supposed to until they rebel against God. And when they rebel against God, shalom is broken. They find that their relationship with God is broken. Their relationship with each other is broken. Their relationship, even as they view them, themselves, is now full of shame. It is not the way it's supposed to be. But that's where reconciliation comes in. Reconciliation is the fact that in our sin and brokenness, in the brokenness of shalom, we are separated from God. God casts Adam and Eve out of the garden, and now man and woman and God are enemies. 
But God is not a peace faker. He doesn't pretend that everything's okay, nor is he a peacekeeper. He could literally come in and smash Adam and Eve, but he doesn't. He makes a promise that one will come, that Jesus will come thousands of years later to make peace between God and man, to reconcile humanity and God by the blood that he sheds on the cross by the blood that he sheds on the the cross. And as we have faith in Jesus Christ, we go to God together. We have peace with God through Jesus, but then that brings a peace between us. Paul writes about this in Ephesians 2, 13 through 18. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of to you who were far away and to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Through our faith in Jesus Christ and resting in the work he has done, where we find rebellion, we now have forgiveness. Where there is separation, we now find reconciliation. We're Shalom is lost, it is now being restored, and where there is conflict, Jesus Christ has made peace. Peace between us and God, peace between each other. And therefore, those who are made by the gospel of peace become peacemakers. Those who are made by God's peace in Jesus Christ become peacemakers in this broken world. But I'll tell you, peacemakers are different. Peacemakers are a different breed of people. They're they're different than the rest of the world because they make peace and they're children of God. There's a couple ways I want to look at this morning that peacemakers are different. The first one is peacemakers have different perspectives, particularly when it comes to themselves. See, the way that our world operates is I see you in relationship to me, and if you cross me, we don't have no peace. So everyone looks at themselves through a lens of self-concern and self-interest and self-protection. And if you offend me, if you step on me, my reaction is not to be a peacemaker. My reaction is to be angry because of what you've done to me. But the peacemakers, those who have been made by the peace of God, have a different perspective when it comes to themselves. They don't primarily look at themselves as someone who has been hurt and offended by others. Rather, the first thing that they notice about themselves is that they are ones who have offended God by their sin and rebellion. I mean, that's what we've been talking about in the whole Beatitudes Series. We've been talking about how because of our sin, we lower ourselves before God and we become poor in spirit, right? 
We've talked about how when we see our sin and we see a holy God, it causes us to mourn that we fall short of his glory. And as we understand that God still moves towards us in our sin and rebellion, it makes us humble before others. It makes us meek and merciful where we would be quick to anger. We become slower to anger because we're so thankful that God was slow to anger with us. Rather than looking at someone else primarily as one who has offended me, what begins to change in the peacemaker's heart is their perspective on themselves, and they're so thankful that God has forgiven their offense. And that makes a peacemaker slow to anger, quick to love, quick to forgive. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. Now, I know in our culture right now, everyone has righteous indignation. You notice everyone's anger is righteous? Well, someone's got to be wrong in that. But James 1 gives us a a different way if we want to be peacemakers. James 1 says this, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So if we want to walk in peacemaking, we have to be those who check our anger quickly rather than check other people quickly. And we get that by understanding what the Beatitudes have been teaching us about ourselves. Because as peacemakers, we have different perspectives about ourselves. But peacemakers are also different because they have a different pursuit. Peacemakers have a different pursuit. And guess what it is? It's peace. Peacemakers pursue peace. They don't pursue revenge. They don't pursue to even the score. They don't pursue bringing suffering to someone who has made them suffer. Because that's not the gospel. The good news of Jesus is that though we offended God in God's great love, he sent his son to die for us. If he had paid us back what we owe, it would not be with love but with judgment. So God pursued peace with us through his son, so we pursue peace with others. In fact, pursuing peace is what Peter calls the good life. Look at what he says in 1 Peter chapter 3. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Pursue it. Pursue it. Pursue it when you're hurt by your spouse or significant other. And your tendency is to either want to hide and be a peace faker or to come back in and let them know who's boss and be a peacekeeper. No, no, peacemakers pursue peace with their spouse or significant other. What about the Thanksgiving table? That is a place you're going to have to pursue peace as you sit down and talk with family and you bring up politics. And there's room for good-spirited debate. But what's your goal? Is your goal to win that debate or is your goal to pursue peace? What about with your enemies? Is your goal to pursue peace with your enemies? Soren Kierkegaard, the great philosopher, said that many people view Jesus' commands and often think they're too severe. 
In other words, when Jesus tells us to pursue peace with our enemies, it's like, it's too much, Jesus. That's like setting your clock ahead 30 minutes fast, right? That's like extra. We don't need to do that. But I think Jesus' words about pursuing peace and even applying that to our enemies is not ahead 30 minutes, but rather it's right on time in our cultural moment. It's right on time in our cultural moment. In the book of Hebrews, the author tells us, pursue peace with everyone. Can you say everyone? Everyone. Pursue peace with everyone. What about peace and justice? We hear a lot, no justice, no peace. What does peace have to do with justice? Well, our tendency in the face of injustice can, is we can be a peace faker and just look the other way at broken things that are happening in our society and pretend that we don't see them. But peace that doesn't include justice is not really peace. Peace that doesn't include justice is not really peace because justice is all about restoration to the things, to the things and people that are broken in our society. Justice restores us to shalom. Injustice is not the way things are supposed to be, but justice restores us to the way that things are supposed to be. So peace that doesn't include some sense of justice is not really peace. But to flip that, if our view of justice doesn't include restoration to peace, if our view of justice does not include reconciliation with those who have offended us, it's not really justice, it's revenge. So justice and peace really go together, and you can't have one without the other. We can't err on being peace fakers and pretend that everything is okay, nor should we err on being peacekeepers and bringing the most severe response possible when we are offended by our enemies. Andrew Sullivan says, in any system of thinking, if payback is always fair play, it's trouble. That's not peacekeeping. Nelson Mandela the great South African leader said it this way, when we dehumanize and demonize our opponents, we abandon the possibility of peacefully resolving our differences and seek to justify violence against them. Peacemakers are different because their pursuit is not revenge, their pursuit is not even in the score, their pursuit is not bringing an equal amount of suffering, rather it is restoration to shalom, it is reconciliation, it is making peace. Peacemakers are also different because they will make peace even if it costs them their sense of peace. Peacemakers will make peace with others and between others, even if it costs them their sense of peace. I mean, Jesus himself was a peacemaker. I'm sure he was at peace in heaven before he came to earth in relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, having thousands of angels praise him in the comforts of heaven, but yet he left that to move towards us broken sinners on earth. And as he comes to make peace, I'm sure it cost him his peace to come into this broken world. I mean, he was misunderstood, he was misjudged, and ultimately he went to the cross. You see, as we seek to make peace with warring parties, if we seek to make 
reconciliation between two different groups of people who are split, if we seek to make peace with our enemies, it will cost us our peace. It will cost us our internal sense of peace because it is costly to enter into a broken situation and become a peacemaker. Making peace takes work. Anytime there is division or separation, it takes work to restore things and to come in the middle of brokenness. In the 5th century, there was a monk named Telemachus. I think we have a picture of him or a drawing of him. Sorry, I won't have any pictures from the 5th century, but so it's a drawing. But Theodoret is a church historian who tells us about Theomachus. And Theomachus was a monk who visited Rome. And when he went into Rome, he made his way into the Colosseum during a gladiator fight. And he was so disturbed watching these gladiators fight each other to the death that he climbed down out of the stands and ran in between the middle of the gladiators to stop them from killing one another because he wanted to see peace. Well, the crowd was indignant. They were indignant that someone would come in the middle of their beloved entertainment. And right there on the floor of the arena, he died. Because the crowd picked up their stones and aimed them at Telemachus, the peacekeeper, and he was stoned to death. A few days later, the emperor of Rome heard the story. He heard the story of Telemachus trying to make peace in the Colosseum. And he was so disturbed and so moved by Telemachus' peacekeeping that he declared an end to the gladiator fights. No more. It's done. It's over. Though Telemachus' life ended, so did the battles of the gladiators. Now, maybe it won't cost you your life to make peace, but maybe it will cost you your pride. Maybe it won't be the end of you, but it might cost you emotionally to reach out and reconcile with someone who is your enemy. Maybe it will be challenging to step in between two people who need reconciliation and commit to bring them to peace with one another. It will make you wrestle on so many levels because peacemakers make peace even when it costs them their peace. And that's why they're different. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you're different anyways. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are different anyways. Especially in this cultural moment, in this cultural moment of political partisanship and division, as a Christian, you're meant to live differently. We've been trying to get you ready for this moment. In January, we did a series on politics called King Jesus Above All. We really wanted to, to disciple you and have your deepest allegiance be to King Jesus and his kingdom over anything else. And then over the summer, we tried to orient you with the promises of God to help you see that the story you're in isn't a story about one party political party trying to win over another party. No, you're in the story of Jesus Christ as a follower of Jesus. And we've tried to orient you to those things, knowing that this moment is coming as we enter into November, knowing that things are heated on the streets, in social media, in the polling booth that's across the street. Things are heated, but this is your moment. This is your moment to live out being peacemakers. This is your moment to live out making peace with those who are different. Where do you need to live that out? With who do you need to live that out? 
you make peace with others because you've been made by the peace of God through Jesus Christ. Peacemakers are ultimately different because they are sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And when Jesus says that, it's not so much about gender as it is status. The son had a status in the family home, that he would follow in the father's footsteps, and the father's affection and honor would be focused on him. And the son would follow what the father did, so much so that it would be like he was a chip off the old block. He would join in the family business. And what Jesus is saying to us is as we are made by the peace of God, it changes us internally so that we become peacemakers and we look more and more like God who gives us the gospel of peace. Joe Capaloya says it this way, the peacemakers are rightly called the sons of God because they demonstrate in reality not just their relationship with God, but their participation in his most characteristic work, the making of peace. Friends, as you go into this next few weeks, know that peace has been made with you through Jesus Christ's blood. Let that strengthen your faith, but don't keep it just in here. Live out making peace in your home, in your streets, at the polling booth, at Thanksgiving table, on social media. Live out making peace because blessed are those who are peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.